this morning's ministry moment is focused on the youth, and we're going to just uh, talk to you a little bit about our prayer breakfast. Every Tuesday morning at 7 a.m., a handful of youth and I, usually 20, 25 or so, sometimes gusting up to 30, uh, youth will get together and uh, out here in the community room, and we, uh, we have pancakes and sausage, and we pray. Uh, and it's a really excellent time to begin our, uh, begin our week, and normally what happens is the students kind of come in, and as they're coming in, we go ahead and eat right away, and once we've got a critical mass or it's time that we need to get going, we take some time to pray. And we sit around this big table, and we take prayer requests, and sometimes we use the bulletin, you know, the prayer requests are at the bottom of the bulletin, and we just spend some time in prayer uh, before we go off to school. Also, before we pray, we sing two hymns every week. And the favorite prayer breakfast hymn is Wonderful Grace of Jesus. And so that's number, we use uh, some hymnals, some old hymnals that are out in the community room. And they have uh, lots of syrup on them. And, uh, and if you open those, they will sometimes open right to number 338, which is Wonderful Grace of Jesus. Because they want to sing it every week. And I tell them, no, we can't. We just sang it last week. So once a month or so, we sing it. Uh, but in your hymnal, which is in front of you, if you could pull that out, it's hymn number 106. And so just to give you the real flavor of prayer breakfast, we're going to sing that one verse of that together. Join us, please. are up to on Tuesday mornings. I'd love to have you there. If you'd like to come out and join us and have a pancake and pray, uh, if you all come at once, please let me know because we're going to need a few extra pancakes. But we'd love to have you there. All right. Have a great morning. Well, now you guys are warmed up. Let's stand and sing some more. Let's sing our praises to God together. Just like a tree that grows by the water Let the strong winds blow, I will not move Just like a child secure in the love of a father Never letting go, I cling to In every situation, no room for fear and doubt, no matter what I'm facing, the song of my heart is ringing out, I'll stand on your promise, I will not be moved, nothing can tear us apart, my faith won't be shaken, I'm anchored in you, in death and in life. strong foundation everything else will fade 
tomb where soldiers watched in vain was borrowed for three days. His body there would not remain. Our God has robbed the
Praise you, God. You have given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to remember that in the moments when fear tries to take over, in those moments when we are tempted to doubt you. Help us to know deeply your abiding presence with us, your great love that you have lavished on us. Help us to trust you. Help us each day to trust you. We pray in your most holy and precious name. Amen. Surrounding me, let it break at your name. Still, call the sea to still, the raging me to still every wave at your name. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus. Jesus, the silence here, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus, breathe, call these bones to live, call these lungs to sing once again. I will praise Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus, you silence here, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, 
Our scripture reading for this morning is selected verses from the book of Habakkuk. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. The Lord replied, Look around at the nations, look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. Like eagles, they swoop down to devour their prey. O Lord my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, You have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. What good is an idol carved by man or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation, a God that can't even talk. What sorrow awaits you who say to wooden idols, wake up and save us. To speechless stone images you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they are lifeless inside. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. This prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. You marched across the land in anger and trampled the nations in your fury. You went out to rescue your chosen people, to save your anointed ones. You trampled the sea with your horses and the mighty waters piled high. I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. This is the word of the Lord.
first um, year of the prayer room, coming in here and um, had a lot of things on my heart, but the biggest thing at that time was my dad's cancer. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I remember praying, uh, you know, at the, the kneeling bench and, and just, um, you know, praying for his healing and, and um, you know, expecting God to heal my dad. And um, in November of that year, um, uh, the Lord took my dad home. And, uh, you know, I remember thinking, you know, why God didn't you heal my dad? But then I realized that, you know, he did heal my dad. And he had uh, real healing, and now he's with his Lord. Mm-hmm. Jill and I both um, teach Sunday school, and uh, we teach second grade Sunday school. And one of the things we love to do is um, take the kids into the prayer room. A lot of times we'll look at the different things that are on the walls, the, the paintings or uh, statues or whatever praying we talk about different ways that people can pray and um, uh, then we usually meet in one of the rooms and uh, you know children will say well what kinds of uh, you know things do you like to pray about they they're curious each room is uh, special to them it's a place that they haven't known about church life you know and they just get excited to walk in we have such a desire to share prayer with children and hear their prayers and for me, as a person, prayer has been uh, very, very important in my life. Um, I've had struggles, and I can always go to Christ and know that I can lay my burdens down there. So the prayer event starts tonight at 5 o'clock, and that's when the first uh, hour begins. If you haven't had a chance to sign up to... Uh, get involved. Let me encourage you to do so. Um, we At 4.30 today, we're having a gathering to sort of kick off things uh, as we send the first person into the room at 5 o'clock. Some of you have participated in this in past years. If you've been around, others of you, this may be brand new. Um, you saw some of the images from the room. One of the things that we are doing is some uh, kaleidoscopic images. It's just a reminder that God is so multifaceted. And there is a, there is a uh, a part of the room where it's like a diamond and you can spin it and see different characteristics of God and who he is in our lives and to us. So we really want to encourage you to be a part of this event. Um, and you can sign up anytime. The calendar this year is super mobile friendly, tablet friendly. So you can sign up uh, anytime. You can sign up in the back after service if you want, need some help with that. If you have any problem signing up, just let the office know and we'll be glad to help you. But we hope you will participate in this event. One of the hardest things in life is to practice what you preach. To be who you say you are. To do what you believe is important. To not just talk about faith or God or relationships, but to actually do what you declare. It is one of the great challenges of life because life never goes the way we want it to. We would be great at doing what we're supposed to if nothing ever tempted us to do what we're not supposed to. But the reality is life is continually throwing wrenches at us and throwing curveballs at us and and leading us away from what we really want to be, what we desire to be. It is a struggle that all of us face to practice what we preach. When I read the book of Habakkuk, that's what I hear Habakkuk wrestling with. As a prophet, he has been a voice to the people of Judah. Follow God. Worship God. Trust God. Give your life to God. Obey God. I mean, all of these messages, that's what prophets do. Prophets tell the people, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. 
And here is Habakkuk in this prophecy, which is really not so much a prophecy as much as it is a conversation between Habakkuk and God. He's wrestling with doing what he's been telling everybody else to do. It sort of comforts me to know that I'm not the only person that wrestles with this. That you and I aren't the only people that wrestle with this. It goes back a long, long ways. In the book of Nahum, the prophecy of Nahum we looked at last week, it is about God being angry with people. Habakkuk is about people being angry with God. Habakkuk comes to God in the beginning of this prophecy and he says, Lord, do you see what's happening in Judah? Are you not paying any attention? There is violence everywhere, corruption. People are bribed. Judges are bribed. The court system is a joke. People worship idols. It, it is, it is, it's horrible, Lord. And you aren't doing anything about it. You don't seem to care. Doesn't it matter to you? Don't you care about injustice? Don't you care about violence? Don't you care about idolatry? You tell us all the time you care about these things. Why are you doing anything? And Habakkuk cries out to God with his complaints because he believes he's right. And quite frankly, he probably is right. And God says to him, Habakkuk, you're right. You are right. I need to do something about what's happening here in Judah. And what I'm going to do is going to blow your mind. It's one of those things that I wouldn't believe it if I didn't see it kinds of things. I was thinking about that and just how the world changes. My great-grandmother was born in 1888. She died in 1984. I knew I was 24 years old when she died. So I knew my great-grandmother very well. I was thinking about the changes in the world in her lifetime. She was born when the gasoline automobile was in its infancy. And she saw jet planes. She saw a man walk on the moon. But try to think about trying to explain to her computers and cell phones, texting, email. I remember the first time somebody told me about email. I shouldn't say this, but I was 37 years old. You know I'm an old person. And I'm thinking to myself, that can't be possible. How in the world can you transmit a message by sitting at a computer to somebody at another computer? It's just impossible. And now it's just my daily life. And it's your daily life. And every time something new comes along, it's one of those, I can't believe that this is possible. When someone tries to explain to us, there's a whole lot of things going on in technology that I'm still saying, I don't know how that's possible. I'm sure you get it better than I do. And God says to to Habakkuk, you're not going to believe it. It's going to blow your mind. You will not be able to comprehend what I'm going to do. And what is it that God's going to do? He says, about all this stuff going on in Judah, all this sin, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get the Babylonians, and I'm going to use them as my agent to punish my people. And I can just see Habakkuk throwing up his hand and saying, are you kidding me? Are you out of your mind, Lord? All respect. Are you serious? You can't be serious. You do know the Babylonians are some of the cruelest, violent, idolatrous people on the face of the earth, right? I mean, I know we're bad, but we're not even in the same league as they are. Why would you use them to punish us? It's crazy. God, you cannot do that. That's going to send the wrong message, not just about to your people, but to the whole world about who you are. And you get to the end of that first chapter and the beginning of chapter 2, and Habakkuk says, I'm going to go up into my tower, and I'm going to stand, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to watch. Now, there are, two, there are different ways of waiting. I think this is the kind of waiting where he's standing back and he's saying, God, I'm watching what you're doing, and I'm judging you. I'm going to see if you're doing the right thing. I have people come to me, you know, at different times to say, hey, I've got, some, I've got an idea for you, something we could do as a church. Uh, you know, I saw this. I was a part of a church where we did this. I had an experience of this. And I think you might want to think about this. It was really successful. And then there are people who come to me and say, uh, I've got, I was a part of something. I saw something. I, I, I engaged in something. And you need to do this. 
And the first one's sort of a, think about it, it might be nice. The second one is, you better do it. And, and we know those two things. You all have had people do that in your life as well. And there is a big difference. And I think Habakkuk is standing back saying, Lord, you better do this. I'm telling you what's right, Lord. You need to do it. And God says to him, Habakkuk, here's your problem. Here's your problem. Habakkuk is really asking a question. In this upside down world, I'm not sure God can be trusted. And God says to him in chapter 2, Habakkuk, listen, your problem is you don't think I've got things under control. And I do. Now, I want to tell you, he says to Habakkuk, look, the day is coming when everything will be put to right. The day is coming when all will be made clear. The day is coming when all of the, the sin and the evil of the world will be dealt with. But not yet. And he reminds Habakkuk, and he's reminding us, that we live between the now and the not yet. And it's hard to live in the now when you want the not yet. When you yearn for the not yet, when you're, you're striving for the not yet, it's hard to live in the now. But the reality is, that's where we are. That's our lives. We live in the now. When you live in the now, yearning for the not yet... There is a tendency to say, well, God, if you're not going to take care of this, I will. And we are continually trying to force God onto people and and shove God down people's throats. And we make laws and we make rules and we say, we're going to fix this world, whether people like it or not. This world is going to be Christian if we have to make people Christian. And quite frankly, unfortunately, the church has a history of doing that. And the problem is, we think, we think that, that what God wants is for us to fix the world. What he wants is for us to trust him in a world that's not yet fixed. Here's the honest truth. Who can fix the world? People have been trying to fix the world for centuries. And usually, people who try to fix the world end up making it worse. They end up becoming the very people they're trying to change and to fix. And what we do is we create this this image of God that is weak and one-dimensional. We think the only way God can really operate in this world is if all the clutter and all the obstacles are removed. And God keeps telling us through a whole lot of ways, don't you trust me that I can work in the midst of all the obstacles? In the midst of all the troubles? Do you believe I'm in control or don't you? We end up not just trying to fix the world, but usually we end up defending God. We start stepping in and saying to to people, well, I'm I'm going to tell you what God is saying. I'm going to tell you what God is going to do. And and we we start speaking for God in a way that doesn't really sound like God. We become super aggressive, even violent. What I find is that people who feel like they have to fix the world, and I don't mean that we don't try to make the world a better place, that we... that we don't try to be agents of healing and grace in the world, but that we're trying to eliminate, we're trying to remove all the obstacles of the world. I find that most people who take that mindset are not very happy people. They're not very fun to be around because you live, that's a lot of pressure to try to fix the world. And the stress just eats away at us. And God is continually confronting us with this question. In an upside-down world, can you trust me? I was thinking about the parable Jesus tells in Matthew 13 about the man who goes out and he sows, puts seed in the ground. And, and uh, sometime later, uh, one of his enemies comes and puts weeds in the ground. And when the stuff starts coming up, here comes the wheat and here comes the weeds. And the servants run to the master and say, hey, there's weeds in our wheat. And the master says, ah, oh, an enemy did that. And, there's, and, the, and the servants say what you and I say, you want us to pull out the weeds? And the master says, no, don't do that. If you pull out the weeds, you'll pull out the wheat too. 
Just let it go. I'll take care of it when it's time for harvest. And I think what Jesus is saying is it's not our job to fix the world. It's our job to so trust him that we create the kind of wheat that nourishes the world in the midst of weeds. I think there is in this this sense of wanting to pull the weeds and a sense of trying to remove all the obstacles, there is a sense that we don't really believe God can operate with all this stuff. And when we read the scripture, we find God may be at his very best in the middle of weeds and obstacles. You don't need any faith to live your life for God if there's no opposition. You don't. And And if you don't have faith, you're living your life for yourself. It's the obstacles, the weeds, the struggles that bring us to a place where we say, God, I can't do this without you. And God says, okay, now we're talking. Now you're right where I want you to be. Now we can do something about this world. I think the hinge point of this whole prophecy is chapter 2, verse 20, the very last verse of that chapter. It says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. When God is in his temple, it means that God is present. In all of his glory, in all of his power, his kingdom is exactly what he wants it to be. It's the place where God is present. And the most appropriate response to being in the presence of God is silence. Prayer. Worship. We don't like silence very much. I could tell it was making you just a little bit nervous as I was standing here not saying anything. I could feel it, you know, a little rustling, looking around, like, what happened? Did he just, you know, have a stroke or something? Is, you know, what, what's going on? I could feel it, you know. And quite frankly, it made me a little nervous to stand here and not do anything. We don't like silence. We run from silence. We want noise. We have noise all the time. We have noise in the background all the time. In fact, we love noise so much that we have created nuances to noise. We color it. The first time I heard white noise, I thought, what in the world is that? We have to find new ways to describe all the noise in our lives. And noise isn't just what we hear. Noise, there's mental noise. There's busy noise. We always have to be doing something. We always have to be active. And and what we hate more than anything is just sitting and doing nothing. We feel unproductive. We feel lazy. We feel uncomfortable. But the call of God is to say, look, the only way you're going to ever know me is to come to me, to be silent. It's really why we keep doing these prayer vigils. Because it is an opportunity for us to remove ourselves from the daily distractions of life that are always pushing on us. The distractions of life, some good, some bad, some painful, some joyous, but they're all distractions to God. And we spend our days trying to find more and more distractions because we are afraid that if we get into God's presence and we have to listen to him, maybe he's going to say something we don't want to hear. Maybe he's going to say, you need to change that. You need to stop that. You need to do that. You need to confess that. You need to go forgive that person. You need to go seek And ask for forgiveness. You need to make that right. Quite frankly, we really don't want to do it. So we just stay away. But in the staying away, our lives begin to wilt and crumble. It is only in the presence of God, only when we take time to come away from God, that we find we discover more of who God is. It's in the silence that we begin to learn that God loves us. We are valuable to God whether we do anything or not. Because the truth of the matter is, we are valuable and loved by God 
whether we do anything or not. But until we take the time to not do anything, we never really know that. We think when we come before God, all he's going to say to us is he's going he's to be pointing his finger at us and saying, do this, do that, stop this, stop that. And it's all going to be negative. And sometimes there is that. But what he really wants to do is to tell us how much he loves us. And what he wants for us. And he's great plans for us. That may include addressing some things in our lives that need to be addressed. But only because he loves us. Only because he wants more for us than we want for ourselves. It's hard. We don't even think about noise anymore. I've never heard of anyone sponsoring a noise retreat. We don't need a noise retreat. We got noise down. We need some time for silence. Some time to pray. It's one of the things I love about the prayer vigil is that it, it, it just creates space for me to go and spend an hour praying, thinking. Sometimes I go and I just sing the whole time because I never get to do that. I never take time to do that, I should say. I just sing songs of worship to God and songs that that God puts on my heart because it's an opportunity to just step away and to just be with God. I can tell you, I think the best times to go to the prayer room in the middle of the night. Because if you really want silence, that's when it is. Nobody else around, nothing else happening. It's just stillness. And here's what happens out of the silence. Habakkuk in chapter 3 is completely different from chapters 1 and 2. Now, there is nothing wrong with Habakkuk's questions or complaints. God does not condemn him for that. God does not condemn us for our questions. God doesn't condemn us for our complaints. He wants us to be honest with him. It's not like he doesn't know what we're thinking anyway, right? So he knows. So there's nothing wrong with that. But God wants us to keep moving through that. And after, after the silence... Chapter 3 is all about praise and worship and acknowledging who God is. Something has happened to Habakkuk in that silence that has changed his mind. And what was in his mind in this upside-down world, can God be trusted, has now become in this upside-down world, I will trust him. I see it. I see it. And when you get to the end of chapter 3, you have this... Maybe the most, one of the most profound things that's said in the entire Old Testament. When you get to the end of chapter 3, he says, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, Even though nothing has turned out the way I want it to. Even though the weeds continue to grow. Even though life is still upside down. I'll trust you. And this isn't a kind of, this isn't a a begrudging trust. This isn't God's got me against the back of the ropes and there's nothing else I can do kind of trusting. What he really says is, even though nothing's happening the way I want it to, I will rejoice in God my Savior. I will celebrate who God is. Because I have come to see he is more than I realized. I have come to believe he is who he says he is and that I can trust him. And in that trust comes joy. And he even talks at the end about, he said, I feel like a deer that's just jumping across the heights of the mountains in freedom. And that's what God wants for us. And when you boil it down, what he's really saying is that in an upside down world, we find joy in trusting God no matter what. No matter what. But you never know that. You never know it's true until you do it. 
until you step out. When I was a sophomore in college a few years ago, five, six, more, uh, I spent a summer in Taiwan. And um, it was an awesome experience to be in a great country. It was a little treacherous getting there. I've never really flown that much. I have this, I have a fear. I mean, I don't mind flying, but I do have a fear of heights and I have a fear of water. So you put those two things together, going from the West Coast to Asia, you kind of have to do both of those things. So I was a little bit nervous about that. We left Portland and flew to San Francisco to meet with the rest of the team. And as we're descending into San Francisco, all you see, at least at that time, all you see is water. Absolutely nothing but water. I'm looking out the window going, hmm, we're not that far and there's nothing but water. And we kept getting lower, 5,000 feet, water. 3,000 feet, water. 1,000 feet, water. And I could feel myself starting to panic. I, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm gripping the armrest tighter and tighter. My heart is pounding and pounding. I don't want anyone to know I was so scared, but I was really scared. You know, and, and the plane's getting lower, 700 feet, nothing but water. 500 feet, nothing but water. And I'm thinking to myself, we are not going to make it. And, and it wasn't until we actually touched ground that I actually saw ground. I am convinced... I'm convinced that the back of the plane was over the water when the front wheels hit the ground. I'm I'm just convinced of that. It was that close. And I mean, it took a long time for my heart to stop pounding. When we came back, we had to do the same landing. And I could feel myself as we're getting closer, nervousness, anxiety rising. But what I discovered in that landing, I mean, I was still nervous and I was still looking out the window and I was still seeing the water. Nothing had changed, but I wasn't quite as nervous as I was the first time. And I suspect that if I kept making that landing over and over again, I would become less and less anxious, less and less nervous and a lot more relaxed. And that I might actually come to the place where I trusted the pilot that he knew what he was doing. And I think the only way you really learn to trust God is to trust Him. And to believe that He doesn't have to eliminate all the obstacles of life. You can trust Him in the middle of the obstacles. Because in an upside-down world, we actually experience Joy in trusting God, no matter what. I think that's why people who have been Christians for 70 years will tell us trusting God is the greatest thing in the world. Because they've done it so many times. And they found God to be faithful. I think silence is a big part of learning to trust. And so this morning, during our prayer time, we're just going to take a a minute or so of silence, give you a chance to say what you want to say to God, listen to God. You might want to look at the back of the bulletin and pray for some of those concerns. I want to add to that, some of you know Bob and Carol Brown, who used to live here for a long time. Bob had a stroke yesterday morning, and prognosis is good, but they do ask for our prayers. But let's just take a a moment or two of silence to listen to God, to just try to remove the distractions and be in his presence.
Father, we thank you that you are who you say you are. And that you put us in places where we get to actually prove that to be true. And to find joy in proving that to be true. Help us to be people who more and more see the joy of trusting you. No matter what. And whatever you may have said to us in the last 60 seconds. Give us courage and faith to trust you. Through Christ. Amen. like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings. Oh, 
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. I have-